0: Episode 356, Backcountry Skiing and the State of the Ski Industry with Mike Weishi.
1: As I look across all the good experience, like skiing with my grandparents, skiing with my, my dad and my mom, and, um, you know, just learning about the mountains and being connected to the mountains, it's, um, it's definitely generated a lifestyle. And that's, I think, ultimately probably what I'm most proud of. What I'm most excited about and to be able to identify, you know, with the mountains in that way is so special.
0: You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville.
2: Hey, today we have another show on skiing, and this is going to be a great one. This is with the founder of Rocky Mountain Underground, RMU Skis, Mike Weishi. Mike is here to talk about how Rocky Mountain Underground got started, and I think it's a really cool story. You know, we often talk about how when we want to live a more adventure-focused lifestyle, sometimes we have to figure out what our niche is and find a way to make that happen. And I love sharing stories like this with you guys because it's the opportunity to get ideas and say, wow, so that's a way that I could have a more adventurous-focused lifestyle. And so We're going to talk about skiing, we're going to talk about backcountry skiing, we're going to talk about um, the history behind Rocky Mountain Underground, and uh, several things in the skiing world. We're even going to talk about how the industry is changing, and even a bit about climate change, and how that might be impacting the ski industry. So, it ought to be a really interesting show. Mike Weishi, welcome to the program. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me, Kurt. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's our pleasure. This is going to be a lot of fun. So first of all, Mike, you said you grew up in Colorado, and you now reside in Breckenridge, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: One of the few, my wife and I actually both Colorado natives, so um, they say if there's more than three of you in a room, you know, to be careful, might get taken (laughs) out.
2: (laughs) It's crazy. Well, Colorado's turned into such a hot spot. Everyone and their dog wants to move here, and we have a lot of dogs, so it's a, it's a busy place these days for people coming to Colorado. What do you think is going to happen as the population in Colorado keeps growing this fast?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, there's definitely like pros and cons that come with it. Like I, you know, I appreciate how much easier transportation's gotten. Um, and I say that like getting around Denver, I-70s definitely got a little bit worse, but, uh, yeah, it's, there's definitely the increase of skiers and, um, the quickness that the powder days seem to go away, <laughs> maybe some of the cons. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it's
2: really interesting. I've noticed a lot of changes. I mentioned to you before we hit record that I moved to Colorado in 1988, so I can't claim to be a native. My wife moved here when she was three, so she really can't claim it either, right? But that's that's a long history in Colorado um, so I guess we're part of the problem from a Colorado native standpoint,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I think you guys get like that, that native status. It comes to you after some, some amount of point. If you lived here longer than most natives, I think you get it.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I've been here long enough for it to count. I hope so anyway. Well, what about Breckenridge? Now Breckenridge is a cool little mountain town and a lot of our listeners are going to know Breckenridge already, but will you describe it for those who may
1: not? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's definitely become home, and uh, it's, it is unique, it's quirky, and it's just it's a beautiful place to live. You know,
2: I, I shouldn't give you too much of my own opinions, but I would like to hear yours. Breckenridge, um, it's been very popular with people from out of state, and I'm curious if my perspective on that is correct. It seems
1: like it's, it's a real hot spot for people that want to visit Colorado. Um, yeah, so going back to Breckenridge as a tourist spot, you know, I think you're definitely right. Like it's, um, it's received some 3 million visits this year alone. And I, I think it's for all those things, right? It's, it's a town that has a lot of charm.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. And some of the ski areas around Colorado aren't really as much of a destination ski area as they call it. And some are, and Breckenridge definitely is. It's one of the ones you go, not just for the skiing, but you go there for the, the location and for the town. Right. Sure. What about the Breckenridge ski area itself? Um, how would you describe
1: that to people? You know, it's it's really at first I was always of like the opinion that like, oh, Breckenridge doesn't really have any expert terrain, but it's as it's grown over the years, I mean Peak Six is incredible. Um, you know, E chair is one of the little hidden spots it gets forgotten about, but it has steep terrain and um it's just you really know need to know what to look for and where it is. And once you find it, there's plenty. So it's not, it's definitely not up there with like a Jackson hole, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's enough for sure.
2: And it's a great place for people that want to learn to ski or who are intermediate skiers and really enjoy, you know, those types of slopes too.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So in your own skiing world, would you identify yourself more with skiing on the, in the ski areas on the mountain, or are you more of a backcountry, AT skier?
1: Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I I definitely identify with both. Um, but I think like as I've gotten older, I've definitely been spending a lot of time in the backcountry and skinning and, um, it's that whole thing of, you know, quality over quantity. Um, I really feel like skinning has been like enriching that whole skiing experience. There's something about, you're maybe a little bit more connected than when you're blasting up, you know, a six man lift. Um, but that said, I, I have great days in bounds too.
2: I heard, uh, I don't know if you've met the Kinsella's, they're the, the couple that skied all the Colorado 14 So that's kind of their claim to fame. But something that they said was that you really got to get your skills in bounds and then you can go out of bounds and start having fun. It, does that work with you too?
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I think right alongside of that is like you got to build the skills, but you got to build the education. Um, and most people don't know it, but Colorado actually has like one of the most dangerous snowpacks in the world. So there, there's, there's definitely, a huge hazard um, by being undereducated, and you know, shameless plug here, but I've got to give it to the CAIC. Um, the avalanche deaths have decreased with even with the amount of population that's coming into Colorado right now. So truly incredible uh, what's been going on and um, how these programs have come into place to start educating. Um, and, and you know, I've even seen it like just in my years in the backcountry with snowmobilers used to not even carry beacons to now. Yeah, it's just, it's grown. That, that education has become such a big thing. It's awesome.
2: So CAIC is a Colorado Avalanche Information Center, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they've doing a great job. And if you don't know about these people and you're interested in going into the Colorado backcountry in the wintertime, whether it's snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, AT skiing, snowmobiling, whatever it is, go to the CAIC first. I would say that because, man, there's so much information there. I think it's critical, and they are doing a great job. They're saving lives, which is awesome. But what makes Colorado such a dangerous snowpack? I mean, why do we have that, that kind of avalanche system here? What's
1: going on? I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, definitely, like the, the temperature swings that we have, the way that our snowpack comes in, the kind of snow that we get. Um, there's so many different factors in it. Uh, but, you know, it's just definitely – I think it's overlooked – and so many people forget that, that, um, yeah, our snowpack is so dangerous. And I've been skiing a lot up in um, British Columbia, and they definitely have their own hazards. But the, the difference is, like, mind-blowing to me. I, I was out skiing like a battered dog <laughs> because I'm so used to Colorado snowpack where snow just simply doesn't stick like, like it does up there.
2: It has a lot to do with that moisture content. And the we're not going to get into Abbey training. You know, we did a show – on uh, on avalanche awareness a while back, and if the listeners want to hear that, it's really excellent. Go to Adventure Sports Podcast. At the top, there's a link that says episode categories. Click that, and you can search for avalanche, and you'll find everything we've done on avalanches. So we don't need to dive into it, but suffice it to say, for anybody that, that doesn't really know what we're talking about, when snowpack comes down and then gets kind of a glazed layer on it, and that can happen from wind, it can happen from sun, it can happen from the, the snow changing, metamorphically changing to different types of snow crystals, and then fresh snow comes in on top of that and loads it up on a steep slope, anything between like 25 and 55, 60 degrees, that, those are the conditions for killer avalanches, and I just described Colorado, Right. yeah yeah, exactly that's here we are that's (laughs) that's where we are but it's still a blast and it can be done relatively safely if you know what you're doing you get the right training so you know a lot more people are going into the backcountry for the reasons that you cited and man i'm right there with you i love being in the backcountry i want to do more of it in the future and uh, what are the steps people should take so they can do it safely
1: you know, I think, again, just using that the CAIC as a resource to find the classes and get the education, um, that's definitely step number one. Uh, you know, it's something that's been huge for me is finding a group of people who, who have the background and the experience to start, so you're not just going out there alone the first time. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm trying to just stay continually educated, um, so you know watching watching their their website daily, like what changed um going to different seminars, listening to different people, and then pulling in different information um is is always a great great thing to do
2: one thing I'd love your perspective on you know everyone wants to do that that rad avalanche shoot because it looks like such a beautiful ski run, you know nature made a ski run look at that well, think about how it was made right but here's the question if avalanches happen between 25 or 30 degrees and maybe 55 or 60 degrees, then how much fun can you have if you stay less steep than that 30 degrees?
1: Is there a lot of skiing that's that shallow? Well, there's, there's so much out there, um, that is safe, you know, and there's, there, don't get me wrong. There's days when you can ski that stuff. Uh, but you have to know when it is, um, how the snowpack has been reacting. You have to know the specifics of that exact location. Like, when did it last slide has it slid? Um, and so I think, yeah, with the right person, like you can, you can actually ski some of those cooler lines that you see, but you know, the majority of my skiing is honestly in that those trees, um, you know, I'm getting a little older, my wife wants to see me around. So yeah, a little bit risk adverse is there's so much fun to be had out there.
2: Oh yeah. And a lot of people may not realize it. 30 degrees doesn't sound all that steep, but it really actually is. You can get a good grade at grades less than 30 degrees and have a great day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there first. I always like to b- build avalanche awareness when we're talking about skiing and we're talking about backcountry, but we won't belabor it. You know, because that's the, that's the information that's necessary to then go and have those amazing days. And let's get into some of those amazing days. So in your backcountry experience, uh, can you tell us a story? About a day that was just mind blowing.
1: Um, man, yeah, you know, this year in particular. So, I, so I broke my leg last season, and it it ended pretty short.
2: Oh. Uh,
1: and I was having, you know, I was having a good year, but it seemed like everywhere I went, I brought two weeks of sunshine. And in this year, everywhere I've gone has brought two feet of fresh snow. Wow. Uh, so we were just up at Red Mountain, two feet of fresh snow. I had a phenomenal day there. Um, probably the best one of the season, we were up with a couple athletes out in Revelstoke and just uh, the terrain there is so, so unique, It has so many fun features, the kind of snow that we were in and then the people I was skiing it with were way better than me and just some of the the line choices and the features and the way they were skiing them was truly was really inspiring to watch. You know, I, I remember this stump that was across a creek and the options that went through my mind were like, look, like. You could go under it. Maybe you could hike over it. (laughs) Not a corner of my eye. One of the guys I'm with just jumps right over it. And I'm like, nowhere in the frame of reference. Is that that an option, but sweet.
2: (laughs) It's amazing to watch people ski. And Mike, I'm sure that you're a much better skier than I am. So, you know, I love to ski with people that are better than me, like you just described, because you see them do stuff. It's just, wow, (laughs) you learn so much so fast.
1: Yeah, you know, and so we work a bunch with um, Eagle Pass Heli out of, um, out of Revelstoke there and some of the athletes that come through there and yeah, the guides and the, just the talent of the staff themselves, nuts. But uh, yeah, skiing with those guys, is, it's truly a treat for sure. Well, here's a, a question for
2: you. You were probably a kid growing up in Colorado. You fell in love with skiing probably a lot like most people in Colorado do. Um, did you ever make a decision, okay, my life's going to be about skiing? Was that a conscious decision, or did it happen some other way? I think you nailed it. I,
1: actually, I, I can remember the day I was skiing with my dad and, and a good friend, and it was a powder day, of course. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, I was playing hockey a bunch at the time. And that day, to a T, I was like, I want to be a skier. So it, it's it's definitely run in my family. My my grandparents were skiers. Um, my, my parents were skiers that met on a ski bus. And obviously, you know, I became a skier, so it's been – yeah, it's been in my family forever, but I think everyone makes that choice themselves somewhere along the line.
2: So Rocky mountain underground, I think it might be kind of fun to hear the story behind that. Um, I'll just leave it at that. What is the story behind
1: RMU skis? You know, it's, um, it's, it's funny because I think a lot of people, this, this company has become so interesting. Um, and my background—I I was a fireman. I went to CSU to become a fireman. You know, I put a huge investment in time and volunteered and worked wildfire. And I got a, a position up here, working for Lake Dillon Fire at the time. It since changed, um, and I made it to like one of the best crews and had just phenomenal people, the best schedule—two days on, four days off. Um, so yeah, I, I was pretty set on that that career path. And it's funny how, you know, looking back on it, how I got pulled into this, but um, I've always been a builder and we, we were simply just building building skis. So it was us and a few buddies building skis literally underground. Um, I can't say that we meant to start what we started. <laughs> um, and it, it literally grew, you know, we, we were painting houses like to afford the materials for skis. Um, so it went from from essentially like, you know, a few hacked up pairs to, you know, to 30 pairs, to 75 pairs, to 150. We were just reinvesting the money, reinvesting the money. And it got to a point where, like, holy cow, you know, like I was working two days on in the firehouse and then, you know, I'd be straight into, you know, a trade show or flying somewhere and trying to get back. And I, I was mixing up days. And so I finally made the choice to risk it and try living the dream. Mm.
2: So you left the, the firefighting industry and, in- Got into the snow industry full-time.
1: Yeah, in, in 2015. And it might have been too soon, looking back on it. Um, we definitely had some highs and lows there, but all things considered, it's, yeah, it's been a ride for sure.
2: Hmm. So I want our, our listeners to get the opportunity to kind of go on that ride with you a little bit. So many people want to have more of a, an adventure-focused lifestyle. And so you've, you've started living it, right? You're in the ski industry um, any words of advice, how should people head that direction if they want
1: to? I, I think, you know, you just, you just got to do it. That's what it comes down to. And you hear people say that, and I've thought about it so many times, but until I made that full commitment, like it just, yeah, you just got to do it and you'll figure out a way. Um, sometimes cause you have to. So that's, that's my advice is if you want to, yeah, if you want to live that life and you want to go that direction, like just make a step that way. And you'll see what unfolds. It's pretty crazy. So you
2: guys were literally just making skis for the fun of it.
1: Yeah, and they were horrible. Like <laughs> <laughs> if you ever come into our shop, like people were like, "Why did you guys keep building them?" But it, it was a passion. It was fun. Um, and they slowly got better. Hmm. At what point did you say, you know, I think we've got something here? I I remember we got a phone call. Um, we, had, we had we had there was two distinct moments there. One, we did a custom ski with this sweet, you know, Led Zeppelin graphic on it. Um, and it was it was just this beautiful, like, piece of artwork. And, you know, the, the guy paid us pretty nice for it. I think it kind of turned on in, in our heads, like, wait, we might be onto something. So we originally started doing custom skis. Um, and then one of the ones we were making, the, this park model at the time, we, we brought out. And it was called the Diem. But we brought that out. We worked with Never Summer to build thirty pairs of them. I, I still don't know why Tim and Tracy entertained us. Like these ski bums from Summit County show up, like, hey, we'd like to bring this into production and we we're stressed out over the I think it was like a four thousand dollar order and we had to paint houses to afford it. <laughs> Which, you know, thanks Tim and Tracy for that, looking back on it. But uh yeah, we, we sold out of those and from that point when we sold out of the third you was like, Man, like I guess we're a ski company now. Wow. One model. <laughs> so DM as in day in Latin is that what we're talking about? Yeah, we, we yeah, we totally seized it carpe diem. You're you're actually <laughs> that's the first to awesome. put that together, believe it or not. We spelled it phonetically so people wouldn't um yeah, we fully call put it it together dime but, or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> oh, that's good. Wow. So then you you said, "Hey, we're off to the
1: races." What what came next? Uh a lot of deep and dark days of building skis and <laughs> learning a lot about business. Um, I, I, we had a, a dealer in Breckenridge, John George over at Mountain Wave, and he asked me for an invoice. And at the time, I think I was like 22 years old, and I had no business background at all. like, <laughs> He's like, can you send us an invoice? I'm like, yeah, no problem. Go home and Google, what's an invoice?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. You know what, though? I have to say, it's not that uncommon for entrepreneurs to have the ideas and the motivation and the leadership first, and then they build the business skill later as it's needed. You know what I mean?
1: So so there's something about that. Yeah, it never stops. You know, there's things today that I still have to go Google, right? Like, I think, I I honestly, looking back on it, I think it's the skier. Like, a skier kind of trains you, skiing trains you to become an entrepreneur. Like, there's a lot of crossover similarities that I've begun to realize, Really? How so? Uh, you know, like, case in point, like, going to look for untracked snow, right? Like, you know, if you're skiing in a zone and everything's just beat, you're like, I think I'm going to go look over the backside or check out this zone. And that can get you into trouble, right? Like, if there's no tracks, doesn't necessarily mean it's good. But there's something there where that connection, like, that's also very business mind for an entrepreneur. Like, well, right. there's a lot of people doing this. Why don't I go check out? We'll try doing this.
2: Yeah. Well, tell us a ski story like that. Then tell us a time that you went where the people weren't and it either turned out good or bad. In my daily skiing
1: right there. Yeah. You know, you're on the skin track and you see probably <laughs> five or six turns. You're like, All right, I'm going to go a little further and just poke over the back of this ridge. Um, and sometimes it does work out. And sometimes you're like, man, I guys going to ski there for a reason. So, but it was wow. a great parallel in my mind to be like, you know, I really do owe a lot to skiing. Um, and a lot of the way i've i've thought and the the mindset and some of the ways we've addressed our challenges have come from those from those situations for sure
2: looking for the the fresh tracks i love it there's risk involved though right those fresh tracks could be
1: where you shouldn't really be yeah absolutely yeah you can you can definitely ski the wrong line <laughs> we've done that in business too <laughs> It's
2: official, winter has arrived, and Bentgate Mountaineering is prepared to help you get ready for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And, you do need to be safe out there, Bentgate has the latest in Avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear, so you can get your skis and your boots there, as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts, so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get
0: updates on all of their events. We're not fortune tellers, but when you lace up our new Stronghold work boots, it's easy to see that the future looks strong. We're Danner, and after 85 years of making boots for the unforgiving Pacific Northwest, well, that means our boots come with deep roots. And the new Stronghold work boot does just that. This is what happens when iconic quality runs into modern technology. You get tomorrow's classic today. Get into the Stronghold for strength that starts right from where you stand. Find your local store at Danner.com.
2: Whether mountain biking, hiking, skiing, or doing other adventure sports, getting split up from your friends and family is no fun. Gotana has solved this problem. That's Gotana. Like Antana, but Gotana. Gotana Mesh is a tiny but mighty device that pairs with any smartphone to enable the first 100% off-grid mobile Long range customer ready mesh network. Your mesh network then allows you to see exactly where other Gotana devices are on your cell phone, as well as to text back and forth so that you can reconnect with your friends and get your day rolling again. These devices are also amazing for travel or finding your loved ones after an emergency. Use Adventure35 promo code to save $35 on this unique device. Never stress out and waste a day trying to find your friends and family again. The promo code is Adventure35. The website is Gotana.com. So how many models of skis do you guys have now? You're still not a huge company, but man, it's taken
1: off. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's definitely been fun to watch it grow. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing 10 models of skis right now. Um, so we do a, a women's line. We do like an all-mountain um, line. And then we do what we call like our big mountain skis. So it's just within each one of those, you know, which size that you want underfoot what length, how stiff, the turn radius, that's what really gets, um, becomes differentiated. What
2: makes Rocky Mountain Underground unique? I mean, the ski industry is vast. There are a lot of big players out there. What makes you guys unique? Why should people come to you for a ski?
1: You know, I get asked that a lot. Um, and I I used to say like, Hey, we're using these materials, you know, this is, we, we build in a factory that in Sweden that's run on renewables. Um, But anymore, I'd honestly tell you, it's what our company is doing. It's the culture. So we are, you know, we're an employee-owned company, and that's really unique in the the ski industry. Um, And I really realize that a lot of people are starting to identify with our values. The brand is becoming like a voice. Um, We do a ton of nonprofit work. So obviously the CAIC is a huge partner of ours, but it's something that we really believe in. And we put our brand value, our voice, um, we use the products to start driving those beliefs, and that's that's truly, to me, why I would say, check us out.
2: You know, I'm looking at your website, and I'm seeing pictures of people doing some cool stuff, skiing, but they're definitely in the backcountry here. We're not we're not looking at ski areas. Um, you focus a lot on making skis for the backcountry specifically, right?
1: Yeah, we do, and I mean, we definitely obviously like the skis ski well in balance too. Um, but there is something, the connection to the outdoors that we believe in with, you know, that, um, the AT, that whole AT arena, um, and some of the access to terrain that you get, um, it's something that we've really identified with as a brand too.
2: You know, I think kind of what sells the whole idea is what you just said. So Colorado has had a tough ski season this year. I think everybody that's been trying to track what the what the bases are and the fresh pow you know numbers are they've realized that Colorado's had a tough one this year and it's not always that way but this year was tough. But you just said I've been skiing two feet of pow everywhere I go. The snow's been following me. Now how does that happen?
1: Yeah, and I think um, without getting like too political, I think that you know skiing's changed. Like it used to be like, hey, you can live in Revelstoke and ski nonstop powder, but you have to be a little bit of a destination skier now. Um and, and honestly, even in Colorado, like the snow is is really good. Like I know that we're at seventy percent of our average snowpack, but there's a lot of stuff like as you start getting into the backcountry that's skiing incredible. So yeah, you you know, you can go two weeks without a storm and still ski fresh snow if you're on that the alpine gear for sure.
2: Well, that's kind of the point, right?
1: Yeah. You, you go into the
2: backcountry, <laughs> you're on the alpine gear, it's there. And You know, people talk about the crowds. We started out by talking about how many people are moving to Colorado. There are areas in Colorado that get crowded, but there are places in Colorado that are untouched. Colorado's vast.
1: Yeah, it's and it's, I mean, it's almost incredible that there's this many people in a town like Breckenridge, and you can literally just go out uh, on top of a ridge that's not in the resort, um, or up some of the local, you know, trailheads, and you're skiing fresh snow. And you're like, wait, there's 3 million people here. How am I in fresh snow? Right. So it's just it's interesting. Huh. That's kind of crazy. So
2: what do you think is going on? I you know, on the Adventure Sports Podcast, we've not talked a lot about climate change. It comes up from time to time, but the skiing industry is really um they're really responding to it. So what do you think's going on with climate change?
1: You know, it's um it's definitely happening. And growing up in Colorado, like I, I see it. Like I can see the snow line creeping up the valleys year after year after year. Um I've seen you know, I have photos riding my snowmobile in feet of powder in September. Like it, that has not happened in a a while. And, you know, regardless of where it's coming from, how it's coming from, like there's a lot of statistics out there that it's, it's happening. It's a real thing. And it is like, I see it. Our business choices are around what's happening right now. Um, you know, like I, we do a lot of work. We protect our winners. Um, and I was listening to some of their stats, but it's like 20% of the snowpack has been lost in the Rockies already. 75% has de- of days have declined in New England. Um, it, it's it's pretty scary to be honest. Yeah, you know, I always joke like the world will be fine. <laughs> it's not it's not the world that we're worried about. It's humans, but eventually that'll catch up with us.
2: Yeah, you know. Some people hear about the, the Pacific Islands that have just no elevation, and people are saying, well, those are the ones that are going to get hit first and worst with a storm that passes through. And then they start talking about coastal cities with sea level rise. And they say, well, but look how many cities there. New Orleans, zone. we almost lost New Orleans, right? And we have all these cities that are right on the coasts. And, but a lot of people look at that and they say, well, that it may happen, it may not happen, that's way out there. But what you're talking about is Colorado and snow
1: right here, it's changing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And you know, like, just like thinking a little bit bigger, the whole thing is, is like, okay, if we're wrong about this whole climate change thing, so what we're running around in electric cars and off of renewable energy. (laughs) If we're wrong, you know what I mean? If we go the other way, and we're like, we say that it's not happening, and we're wrong, the consequences seem a little bit worse. So I just think about it in that terms. It's, it's like, hey, like, what do we have to lose? You know, nothing.
2: Yeah, there's a better way. And that's one thing that I've said, because I don't I don't take a hard stand on climate change, you know, I don't. I see that, you know, at least the the climate patterns for the last several years are different than they used to be, but that's that's a small sample and it's just anecdotal on my part. But what I do say all the time is we have plenty of reasons to do things better. It's not all about climate change. If that was a motivator, so be it. Like you said, it's gonna help, right? But yeah, I mean, exactly. what about just the like the nitrous oxide emissions and cancer causing emissions that are coming out of cars and all that kind of stuff that I don't hear people talking about enough? That's the stuff we ought to be cleaning up first. I mean, that's hurting us right now. The incidence yeah, of of uh, all agree. sorts of respiratory illnesses in cities across the United States. People don't connect those dots, but they're there. It's really happening.
1: And I think you know, again, I, you look at the the topic of like the connection to the outdoors um and as that decreases as these things go away there's less and less people with a voice to like communicate that um but i think that you're onto something there it's a good point to well if you if you don't identify with the fact that the snowpack in colorado is going away or you know the just some of the research out there if you can't connect to that then connect to the fact of everything that you're saying look at those look at those facts and say why not what what do we have to lose
2: Yeah, We can do things a better way. We really can. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be political at all. It's just about living your life in a great way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well said. Hmm.
2: So the ski industry has adapted a lot to the changes, um, regardless of what the cause is. The ski industry has really started working hard at doing more machine snow and they've done a bang up job. I mean, without that, I think we would have been in trouble, but I've seen that. But there are other ways that the ski industry, I'm sure, is adapting you're more of an insider than I am. Give us a little
1: education. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, like, <clears throat> the ski industry, it's not going to go away overnight. Um, but if you look at, like, our, our business, right, we sell to the 1% of the 1% of skiers. And the, that's where you start to feel it first. Mm. Big guys out there, the K2s, the Rossignol, they're going to be able to <laughs> shrink and expand Um to some of that but as these days get shorter it means that less skis are being sold and some of the things that i see is there are less slots on the retailers walls for skis to be sold just because like skis aren't selling you know uh season in colorado like i know some of the retailers are reporting like a 30% decrease in ski sales wow. so what happens in next season is that there's 30% less skis sold um and and those are the things that we see you know we have a little bit of a unique insight but you start seeing these slots go away. Um, you look at some of the industry research, like the amount of specialty retailers that are going out of business. Um, it's it's incredible, and there's other pressures on that. But I also see and tie a connection to what's happening with our snowpack, what's happening with you know the need, the demand for those products, and it's just not there the way it was ten years ago. Well, one solution
2: is to get into the backcountry more, right? <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, that's what yeah, the snow's
2: hiding. You're saying.
1: And if you look at the industry as a whole, like there's been a massive push behind those products, and I'm not saying it's a direct correlation, but it is. It is interesting to think about.
2: I want to throw one out there just to get your opinion on it. Uh, the the cost of lift tickets skyrocketed. Uh, let's call it a decade ago now, I, and I'm speaking beyond my knowledge. I'll, I'll just admit to everybody, but I've seen anecdotally the prices went way, way, way up. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I keep thinking, well, does it, has it resulted in fewer ski days on the mountain? Um, what is the end result of that? Do you, what do you think in the industry, what that's done for it or against it?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I had some unique insight on this one. I, I was invited um, to speak on a panel about participation for the outdoor retailer. Um, and the folks in the room were, were much smarter and in tune with what was going on. Um, but one of the things we talked about is is the rising ticket prices. Um and, and respectfully, if I was one of those resorts and you're over capacity and there's too many people showing up, well, maybe try raising the ticket prices 10 bucks. And if you come back this next year and the same thing, the demand's just as high, all right. Well, raise another 20 bucks. And I see that as a lot of what's happening. It's like there is this look at the resorts in Colorado, there's this demand for lifts and to get on and have that experience. Um, but there's just simply not enough. So I, you know, you can't blame them for saying, let's, let's raise it. Like, let's try to filter this out a little bit, try to keep those numbers where it is a good experience. Um, but sometimes you can only go so far. And as a result, we're we're actually starting to hurt ourselves. Um, there's some great programs going on, like you know, fifth graders skiing free and different ways to participate. Um, and I will also say that, like, that whole AT backcountry movement has gotten people in um, to skiing and a way to do it without paying 200 bucks a day. Right. So it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's an interesting problem there.
2: Well, I was thinking about the flip side of that. So it generally sounds like a good idea for the ski industry or for the ski areas, I should say, because it's basic economics, right? Higher prices maybe fewer ski days, same amount of money. Uh, it, it makes the the resort less crowded. People have a better experience, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's the flip side of that. They're the people that are selling skis and ski boots and poles and goggles and helmets and jackets. And you know what I'm saying? Ski socks, fewer skier days means
1: those people might get hit. Yeah. And we're definitely guilty of it too. And yeah, it's that whole thing of like, you know, what's good in the short term isn't good in the long term, Right. Um, And I have identified a lot with the smaller resorts that are doing things to, you know, get kids to ski for free. Um, There's definitely a lot of those programs that are bringing bringing more skiers in. And I think the industry as a whole is starting to notice, like, wait, this is something we should be concerned about because all of a sudden, you know, the people who want to come skiing are are fewer and fewer. And if you look at the experience, like, just imagine, you know, flying in out of town, like, you get... You get in on a Friday night, you sit on traffic for I-70 for however many hours, and you go and you wait in line at the, the rental ski place, and then you get checked into your condo, and it's like, man, like the amount of effort to get out and ski is, is crazy. Or you just buy a mountain bike, and you go ride around for two hours, and you get a, a better workout, you know, you're in nature, there's no hassle, there's no traffic, It it's really interesting to look at and think about. Mm. It is.
2: What I love about the backcountry, taking it back to that, is that you get away from all of the negatives. You you introduce some new ones, right? But you get away from those negatives and you end up getting, well, here's a whole mountain that I can just go enjoy. You know what
1: I mean? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be in a popular um, resort area either, right? Like You can access in so many different places. Any of the mountains that have snow in Colorado are now open, Um, but it, it won't be that traditional resort experience and people have to understand that that's some of the trade off as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Well, man, do you have a story for us? I guess just about a skiing experience that was really life impacting
1: something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, that's, um, that's an interesting one. There's so many, you know, life impacting ski days that I've had, like some, some really good and. Um, something really bad you know some some tragedies out there um I think I like to look at it as a whole um because skiing has become my life like in so many ways it's what I've dedicated everything to um and you know I was back to that other conversation that's one of those things that came out of that conversation is is that when you become a skier it's generally for your life so I guess where I would head is is like, as I look across all the good experience, like skiing with my grandparents, skiing with my, my dad and my mom and, um, you know, just learning about the mountains and being connected to the mountains. It's, um, it's definitely generated a lifestyle and that's like ultimately probably what I'm most proud of what I'm most excited about and to be able to identify, you know, with the mountains in that way is so special.
0: While hiking along the Appalachian Trail, fellow adventurer and podcast listener Scott Newman faced an age-old problem that we're all familiar with, foggy eyewear. So he did something about it. He solved that problem with Sven Can anti-fog solution. Biodegradable, odorless, and 100% guaranteed, Sven Can is the solution for all four seasons across all lens types. Go to SvencanC.com today and enter promo code ADVENTURE to get two bottles for the price of one. That's S-V-E-N. Cansee.com. Planning a new product or your next big trip? Running out of space for those ideas? US Markerboard offers whiteboards and glass boards of every size, color, and surface material to keep you planning. From floor-to-ceiling boards to projectable glass boards for that perfect presentation, custom work is their specialty. US Markerboard is a go-to for planning your team collaboration space. Think your needs are too complex? US Markerboard welcomes the adventure of fulfilling your order. Use promo code ADVENTURE to get 12% off at usmarkerboard.com.
2: What was it about skiing that made you a skier for life? You talked about connecting with the mountain and nature, and I agree 100%. But what is it about skiing? And it's hard for us who have skied a lot to get to this point. It's easier for someone who skied their first day, maybe to answer this question, right? But what's unique about skiing that says, no, this is worth
1: really putting a lot of energy into. You know, if you look at it, it, it does, it starts on the day to day and it starts with some of those first experiences. Um, it could start with like your first like face shot of powder and, and you know what I mean? Like that could be a real connection for someone. Um, and I have so many of those, you know. That I remember the first day riding a snowmobile um, with a good friend up on Vale Pass, and it was this three foot day. And just the fact that, you know, on a snowmobile, you can you're getting face shots going uphill, downhill, flat, and it was just <laughs> phenomenal, right? Like you come back with this, yeah, just this stoke, um, and again, the connection to the outdoors, and um, I and I think that's what a lot of people are looking for at first, right? Like that connection on the day to day and the amount of fun you have with your friends, but it goes like, it starts to go much further than that. Um, And and this also ties like into that whole climate change piece as well, especially as you look at like generations, you know, like I'm a perfect example of that day to day experience became what feeds my family. Um, It became, yeah, it's, it's now 35 people's jobs that depend on, that same experience and connecting. And, um, I, I, does that make sense? Like how, how it starts to become bigger than just day to day?
2: Yeah, no, it does make sense. I think it's hard for a non-skier. I would hate to say it, but it's, it's a skier thing. You wouldn't understand right no it, It's hard <laughs> for a non-skier to say, I don't know what all the fuss is about. I mean, it looks cool, but is it really that cool?
1: Yeah. And, and uh, again, like there's so many day-to-day experiences that happen. Um, that are just incredible when you're skiing, and the connection with your friends, like there's there is a special bond with a lot of the people that I ski with, um, just because you've had those experiences together, and that's something that, again, on the day to day, like I think is very relatable and very easy to get into. Um, I mean, hell, that the opera scenes, uh, that's worth worth getting into for as well. <laughs> like it's a good time. So when but, you say
2: opera, non-skiers probably are like, "What does he mean? What's
1: that?" So uh, operate would be the, um, period after skiing where beverages, alcoholic beverages are opened for one to enjoy. And you're just highlighting this, you know, these epic moments that you had in your day. And it's definitely, it's just a ton of fun because you're, you're going over the whole ski day and yeah, this happened. And I remember that line and, oh, that was close. And it's just a blast.
2: You know it's fun to go into a restaurant near a ski area at the end of the day, I think everyone's in there in their ski boots, and you know they're starting to try to peel layers because it's it's they're warming up, but it's fun just to sit there and listen and hear all the all the
1: people talking about the experiences they had you know Oh, absolutely, yeah, and it's just I think everyone's on the same page in there, and that's what that's what does it uh we were We were recently over in Austria, and you know we operate in the u s it's a thing, but not not like Austria. <laughs> <laughs> it's like walking into a full nightclub. You know, I, the one point that tipped it over for me is we walked in the door and they handed us like literally like sparklers, like fireworks <laughs> inside <laughs> the bar. Like, wow, you know they're they're gonna they're gonna do operate right. That's for sure. <laughs> and it's not that it's uh, just
2: a big party scene. It's a bunch of people celebrating a common interest. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
2: Well, speaking of, one of your guys at outdoor retailer mentioned to me that you have a a place where you can sit and enjoy uh a couple of cold ones. Is it where you can watch skis being made or how does that work?
1: Yeah, um so our headquarters in Breck is uh we you know for better or for worse, we put a full service bar in the in the middle of it. And I think again going back to that like what is it about RMU? It's it's that community piece. Um and we have yeah, it's right on Breck Main Street. It's we painted it uh, bright purple, so it's pretty easy to spot. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's its just that connection again. Yeah, it's um, a place like a gathering place for for our community to come in and connect and celebrate and talk about gear. Um, and it, yeah, it's sometimes we get a little bit of an Austria vibe in there. But uh, yeah, it's okay. It's it's a blast for sure.
2: Does does uh, Breckenridge Fire Code allow you to light up the sparklers? We are we are not allowed to have the sparklers. I think that'd be (laughs) (laughs) US. Oh, that's funny. Well, tell us a little bit about the different types of skis. You know, RMU, I shouldn't let you off the horn here without getting your perspective since you are in the heart of it. People take up skiing and you know, first they rent and it's whatever the rental shop hands them and then they start talking about demos and upgrades and this and that and the other. And people are like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, what do I really need out there? So can you differentiate for us the different types of skis and how they impact skiing and your location and where you should use them and how?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think again, like the, the way I would communicate that best is to compare it to like what's happening in the beer industry right now. Like there are, there was these, these big brands out there that were making decent beer, you know, and a, a logger is a logger and, uh there's yeah, there's nothing wrong with some of those those other beers. But then there are these small brands that started popping up and they're doing these crazy accent flavors and um able to make like a very unique product that does very unique things um based on some of those ingredients. And you know, if you think about it like that, like our skis, we're, we're able to do a lot of little accent flavors and things that the big brands can't um because of some of the materials we use. And again, like we're in you know we're in a niche of a niche, so the skis that we sell are, are a little bit more specified towards that use. Um, we've been able to put little little fl- pieces of flair in there, like we use um, a little bit thicker base. Uh, you know, like a average base is about a millimeter. We run ours at two point two. Why is that important? Who cares? Well, if you're in the backcountry and you're hitting rocks all the time, because a lot of these backcountry lines, you know. There, no one skied it before, and you have more base impacts. Um, that's where, you know, those materials start to matter. It's how the product takes a direction um, from what it was designed with.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I get that. What about your line of skis? I mean, you've got some PAL skis. You probably have some more like an all-mountain approach, but most of yours are more backcountry-focused, right?
1: Yeah, in, in general. I mean, I would say that's their basic use. <laughs> um, can you ski it in bounds and have a great day? Absolutely. So just looking at it specifically, like the Valhalla, it was like a female-inspired ski. We actually removed ourselves from it. We said, look, we don't know what the difference is. We put 20 female ski testers on it. Um, And the problem that they were looking to solve is they said one of the biggest issues that they were encountering is is these super wide skis, you know, whatever, 120 underfoot is a lot um, for some of the other females to roll over on edge. And they realized that there was a niche there, that it's something that the experience wasn't as great. And they came up with a way that when the ski is actually sitting in snow, it wants to naturally cant back, um, allowing the tip to float easier and therefore not needing as wide of a ski. Um, and, and there's female athletes out there who are way better skiers than I'll ever be um, and who can drive a ski way harder than I ever can. Um, but in general, among that, those 20 testers, that's what they came up with for for that ski. We call it the Valhalla. Um, so just interesting little solutions in each product. Um, yeah, the, the next series we have is our all mountain series, which is like the Apostle series. It's taken home like 20 editors picks. It's been in our line since 2011. Um, and there's definitely some unique properties in it that make it turn. It has a little bit of a, like an elf shoe, shape um and I, I would compare that ski to like an f-150 and mm-hmm. uh yeah it kind of does everything well so if you're skiing on the resort um or in just variable conditions like you're, you're like look i'm going from hard pack through some moguls across a couple of trees into some powder back onto some ice into some hard pack it's great to have like that swiss army knife you know f-150 that can kind of do everything um, it's not going to be a sports car. It's not going to be the world's greatest carver. It's not going to be, you know what I mean? Like it, it has a, its use is to do everything at 90%. So
2: it's going to condition, all mountain ski.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you want a carving ski, that's not the right product for you. But if you're skiing in Colorado, um, if you're skiing, you know, any of these resorts where you are going to come across a variety of conditions, that's where it really starts to make sense. Um, and then, yeah, finally, the, the big mountain line that we make is the, the North Shore series. And what makes the, what's the difference between a big mountain ski and an all-mountain ski? Largely, like, the flex pattern in it. Um, so these skis are a little bit stiffer. They can handle high speeds uh, better. They um, they have a bigger turn radius on them. Uh, so, like, the Apostle is, like, in general, like, a 19-meter radius. And these North Shores, the big mountain skis, are generally – you're going to find them in the 20s. So the turn radius, the way that actually – begins to turn is longer, meaning it can handle higher speeds or wants to turn faster. Mm.
2: So what makes a, a ski a good, and this is a really basic question, but what makes a ski a good pal ski versus a good um,
1: corduroy groomer ski? You know, it's it's really interesting. Um, and we do a lot of like open design. Uh, the shop in, in Breckenridge actually has a ski press in it. So you can come in and learn about all these factors um for strictly pow skiing like a soft tip ski is is probably best because you want that ski to pop up like the softer the tip it's going to flex and it's going to make that ski rise up out of the snow um so that's that's strictly like hey look i'm going to japan and i want one ski to do that um that's not the reality for most people though so the products that we make have some hybrid qualities in there uh we just did this uh, new pro model for Wiley Miller. He signed up with us in um, in December. And for those who don't know Wiley, he's like a long term, you know, industry pro. He brought a ton of experience to our team. Um, he has several parts in many of the major movies. You know, was level one um, and just been on the scene for a while. But he's based in Pemberton, British Columbia, and, and uh, he had some really unique needs. Like that snowpack is a little bit different than here. Um, he wanted a, a bigger turn radius on it so he could ski it faster at high speeds. It has to be a little bit stiffer because he's jumping off of bigger cliffs, but it still had to have that soft tip to be able to pop up. Um, and there's a really cool – he did an incredible job of not only going through the materials but um, communicating the exact thoughts of why the ski was designed the way it was, um, and it's on our website, which – Again, shameless self-promotion is just rmuoutdoors.com, but it's it's pretty cool to read through uh, all the materials, what they're doing, and then how he put them right into that. um, Just yeah, right right into that product to to make it. Um, So yeah, it's it's in our blog and definitely worth reading and checking it out. So that was R M U
2: Outdoors. I said that real slowly because it almost sounds like army if you say it fast, (laughs) right? R M U Outdoors. Yeah. All right. I
1: appreciate that.
2: Um, there's a lot of neat stuff on the website, your story, you know, the background behind all that kind of stuff, of course, your product information and all of that. But if you just want to get a feel for this niche part of the skiing inter- industry, then it's a good place to start. Really cool. So uh, here's a question for you that comes up with me a lot. Some people say don't turn your hobby into your job because then it turns into a job, Right keep your friend fun, right. fun, keep your work, work. And you've done this. You've turned your passion for skiing into a job. Now, how did that change your relationship with skiing?
1: Yeah, it's, um, that, that's a good question. And I've thought about that a lot. Um, but skiing, skiing has been my life for a long time. And we joke from time to time. We're like, oh man, I, I've got to get a powder week it's another five days up in red mountain, BC. And I, you know, f- for example, I just I left January first, and I I just got back to Colorado yesterday. Um, I think I spent four days here in between. So, I, you know, I love the adventure travel. I love the places and the people that we get to meet. Um, but yeah, there has been definitely a change with like it, it's there's a component with my wife where I'm away, and you know, our dog got really sick, and um, I, I couldn't be there for them, and so. I think about that, um, but I, you know I'm so passionate about skiing. The, the conversations at work are literally about the products that we're making, and it, you know, it just doesn't stop. It's all day long, um, and that's fine. That's that's who I am. Uh, so it, it's you're right. Like there's really an interesting dynamic there.
2: I think that the people that say don't turn your your hobby into your job, I think they're they're coming from a background where people allowed, you know, boredom to set in or somehow allowed uh, their hobby to, I don't know, lose its, its passion as they got into the business end of it. But I don't think everyone's like that. I've talked to so many people like yourself who says, no, it did change and it's okay. I like it.
1: Yeah. And and I, you know, I can see where they're coming from and I can see how running a business around your passion can, um, it can definitely push you to lose like that inspiration for it. Um, and so we, we did something, you know, we did a a 50 day minimum for employees. Like they have to ski 50 days and
2: (laughs) that's great.
1: It's great. Like it definitely has like a lot of perks, but a lot of it is to keep that inspiration, like to stay connected with skiing and the fun that that's there because, um, yeah, you know, you add the bar in and again, like all day, every day, those conversations are about skiing. It's actually a joke. Like it's like, how to have a good conversation with someone in the ski industry is to just not talk about skiing, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, it's, again, it's, it's our passion. And I think looking back at RMU, if we didn't have that passion, if it wasn't there, um, why the hell would we do it? Like there's no reason to to go through what we went through if we didn't care. And you know, the, the economics of it don't make sense. Um, But I was just skiing in, in Red Mountain, BC and, Was all because of this company, and that's where it's like ultimately, yeah, I'm fine. It's worth it. Nice.
2: Yeah, that's fun. Well, here's a question for you too. I here's a just a ten seconds of my story. I loved skiing with a passion when I was young, and I skied and I skied all I could. I never got to fifty days a year; didn't happen. But I skied all that I could, and then I got to a point where I needed to either ski more to get better because I wasn't, I wasn't getting there, I kind of like I hit a wall, or I was starting to get tired of skiing the same way that I was, and it started to get a little boring, because I'd done so much of it. But then, sure. when my kids came along, and I started teaching them to ski, it revived my interest, because it was so much fun to, to teach them to ski, and then my skills improved, and I got to that next level. But what happens when you ski that much? Do you start to lose interest? What keeps you going back up the mountain?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's awesome that your kids re-inspired you. And I think that's it. Like you just, there's always different ways to connect. Um, you know, whether it's like uh skiing off a snowmobile, which has its own, it can be incredibly fun. Um, I, I really enjoyed like the adventure travel that's really connected me back into skiing and kept my inspiration alive. Uh, just skiing these different mountains. Um, we were over in France and holy cow, you know, I think, man, like I thought, Here I am coming from Colorado and just so humbled so quickly the story we're we're, a good friend of ours is from Hawaii and we're driving up to teen, which is this crazy goat path road and there's avalanche bridges over it everywhere. And it's, you know, as he said, he's like, this is like a scene from the James Bond movies. (laughs) And Literally later that night he brought it up and our guide is like, yeah, it's because it was filmed like right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So I guess
0: to
2: kind of summarize your answer, it's the new experiences that start to get into what you enjoy doing. So it's going new places and, and trying the backcountry versus the ski areas and, and the adventure travel. And it's also the, the culture that
1: builds around it. It's the Opry Ski. It's, it's that you it's can the,
2: expand the whole lifestyle, right?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's where I was headed with that earlier conversation. Like, yeah, those day to day experiences are, are are great. But then looking back, like, you know, if I was to get knocked off tomorrow, I, I can gladly say that all my friends would say that I lived a pretty good life. And in a short amount of time. So yeah, they'll be yeah. able to say that I really lived. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Now that not many
2: people can say that, you know, you're saying something, you're saying something. Well, dude, how can people get more information about RMU skis?
1: Yeah, I think like you said that the website. Um, just yeah, rmuoutdoors.com. Uh, we we definitely our Instagram channel is picking up quickly. Um, that's just rocky underscore mtn underscore underground. Uh, so there's definitely yeah a lot of really cool stuff coming from our athletes and some of the travels around the world on that thing. Um, you know the the place in BRAC, we built that to connect with our customers um we've had some amazing stories people coming in things that we never knew happened um and and we're there that's that is our headquarters so if you'd like to come meet any of us or um, have a beer with us or talk way too much about products and uh the passion we have for it (laughs) that's just 114 south main in breck um yeah very cool well, Mike, thanks so
2: much for your time today, man. I appreciate your insights into the, the ski industry and the changes that are going on. But also, I really like your insight into how you can keep an adventure sport real and alive and exciting and even make a business out of it and still love it. So thanks for that. We appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, appreciate you keeping this going and definitely looking forward to hearing more of these as they come along. So thanks again.
2: Uh, you bet. And for all the listeners out there, hey – If you're not already a skier, I don't know, it's a big sacrifice. Mike pointed it out. It can be tough, but it's worth it. Plan a trip around skiing and and find out what all the fuss is about because it's a remarkable sport, really, really remarkable sport. And uh, until the next show, make sure that you do get out there and have some fun.
0: Why don't you do yourself and us a favor and become a member of our Facebook group. In there, you can hear about some awesome adventures, learn how to do new ones, and share what you've been up to. And while you're on the web, do us a favor and go over to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast and consider becoming a patron to help the show. You can also find a link to patron at the top of our website at adventuresportspodcast.com. As always, thanks for listening, guys.